how many World Series game sixes have ended with a home run. This by the way is the 63rd game six in World Series history out of a total of 107 World Series. I remember one working it with your dad at 91 Kirby Puckett Jack's famous call. We'll see you tomorrow night. There's one inside 2 and 0. <laughs> Nothing else. We'll see you tomorrow night. Freeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. Season 9, Episode 9 of the Sportscasters, Part 2 of the return of the Sportscasters after about a six-week hiatus due to my health. This is Steve Bennett, the host of the Sportscasters, and I hope I'm a little bit better in Part B or Part 2 of the return than I was in Part 1. I felt I was a disaster. Uh, I thought I stunk. I was nervous to host my own show for some reason, and I was scatterbrained and loopy. And uh, just not good. So hopefully I'm better today. Uh, it's a great show. Um, two of my favorites. Joe Buck. The great Joe Buck is here with us today for the fourth time on the Sportscasters. Joe Buck has kind of become a little bit of a friend, if if that's fair to say. Uh, we text about hockey games and Pearl Jam concerts and our kids. And uh, whenever I need him, I can text him and say, hey, Joe. I've been out for a while, and I, I need I need I need the big guns to return, and and he's there for me, and uh, I really appreciate that. And man, it's so cool because it feels like he has fun on the show, like he likes to do it. You know, it doesn't feel like I'm twisting his arm. People tell me all the time, oh, they like to do the show, and uh, I don't believe them. I don't know if it's like I don't know. Sometimes I just don't believe that. That people would want to do this. I can't believe it sometimes or whatever. But Joe is great and, and he's agreed to be on today to help me with this. And I, I can't thank him enough. And we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, we're also going to update the book club, which has an update since the last update, which was only a couple days ago. Uh, Blake J. Harris has has in fact surfaced. So we'll talk. We'll talk about that. And there's a new book. Someone reached out. And I could never say no. I could never say no to a guy who works so hard uh, to write a book and reaches out to me and says, hey, can you help me? I just couldn't couldn't do it. And and the good news is I'm really interested in this book, so I'll tell you what it is uh, during the book club update, which is after Joe Buck. And then Damon Hack is going to be on the show. And let me tell you about Damon, okay? Look, there's been a bunch of guests. I don't know how many, but if he isn't the nicest dude to ever appear on this show, he's second or third. Damon Hack, I think the term is salt of the earth. Damon Hack is the salt of the earth. He is the nicest dude. And when I originally thought about coming back, it was Good Friday. And I got ambitious one night 
kind of probably doped up on painkillers. Uh, and I sent him an email and said, oh, we got to talk about Tiger. Come on, and I'll do a show. And then I woke up the next day, and my bag was leaking, and my stomach hurt. And I'm like, I can't go into the podcast room for two hours. And I wrote Damon, and I said, hey, man, I know we booked this thing, but I can't do it. And he's like, dude, just write me when you can, and I'll be there for you. And I wrote him when I could, and he was there for me. And we do a great interview. We get to talk about Tiger. We talk about the PGA championship which is coming up next week uh so it was just so great to have damon on and i mean he's another guy like every time we talk how are your kids you know how he's got triplets and i just i've loved watching them grow up over the years through damon um wow what a great show uh what a great week for the sportscasters i mean have i ever had a better week i don't know I don't know if we've ever had a better week. We have had four guests this week, and those guests are Adnan Verk, who, by the way, is a publicity maniac. He retweets everything I tweet with his name in, and I think I've gotten more new Twitter followers from, from Adnan than anyone ever in the history of the show. Thank you, Adnan. Adnan is, is the man. I love Adnan Verk. He is the man. I mean, to do an interview twice because I screwed up, the way he retweets and promotes being on the show... The enthusiasm, man, I love Adnan Verk. Good dude. So we had him on the show. We have Joe Buck today. Joe Buck, the lead play-by-play. He's done every World Series since 1996. He's done Super Bowls. This is his fifth U.S. Open this year. Joe Buck is on the show today. Joe Buck. Damon Hack, one of the nicest guys in America, is on the show. Greg Wyshynski, who's been on the show since episode two in 2011. He ended his interview with saying, I always know I'm going to have a good conversation and have fun anytime you need me. I was on the Quaz this week. I made my mom happy the week of Mother's Day on the Quaz. My grandmother, too. So fun. JeffProman.com. Slash Steve Dash Bennett. That's a URL. So cool. What a great week. What a great week for the show. All right. You guys want to hear Joe Buck. So let's do that. We're going to take a break and come back with the great Joe Buck. All right. Our first guest today needs no real introduction. He's been calling the World Series, the Super Bowl, and the U.S. Open for Fox since 1996. And he's making his fourth appearance on the show today. A warm sportscasters, welcome to the great Joe Buck. What's up, Joe? How you doing? I am doing fantastic and happy to be back on. I think I'm, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like a regular, even though I guess I'm not. This is but number four. I feel like I'm always a part of the show. This is number four. That's crazy to me. You, I think you win. I don't. I think after at least <laughs> two, people are sick of having me. So, congrats. Crazy for you. <laughs> it's crazy for me um, to have Joe Buck on four times. But we've been texting a bit with this Gloria excitement. Gloria, how about those blues? It's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's it's the one. It's the one. Uh, it's the one show that. Or, sorry, let's. Sport, the one sport. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I'm uh, was being rested out of my place there. Yeah, it's the one. It's the one team that uh, 
that I can root for openly. Uh, I, you know, I think you and I have talked in the past about uh, my life and, and kind of being the national guy and uh, dealing with the whole you hate my team stuff and, you know, you, because you're not there rooting for a specific team, which most people hear all season long. And, and I experience it, by the way, in hockey. I mean, Kenny Albert's one of my best friends. And, and yet, while I love listening to him, and I flew to New York with him the other day, I love listening to him do hockey. You kind of want you've been listening to all year to do the games when they count the most. And, right. and so it, it's a long roundabout way of saying that with regard to the blues, you know, I, I grew up a blues fan because my dad was their first radio voice. And, you know, he and I used to sit on the couch and live and die with, well, mainly die because they never did anything uh, in my childhood. And then it's been a, a recent past of, of a lot of good teams and not a lot of postseason success. And then to have this team kind of come out of nowhere and be dead last at one point in the season and be in the final four now is, is thrilling. So it's, it's been a fun run and it's good for our city and uh, I'm proud of them. It's a fun team to watch. That last January 2nd, by the way, not just, you know, now like October 5th, January 2nd, they were dead yeah, last. Yeah, that's a run. It's nuts, and it, you don't you, you just don't see it. And I think if, you know, and, and I know a lot of people roll their eyes when they hear about hockey. The hockey fans don't because they can't get enough. But, I, you know, it, it, it sits where it sits on the uh, American landscape. I happen to just adore it. And, and I think, you know, the back-and-forth action that you get in a Stanley Cup playoff um, and, and the, the way fortunes can change literally in five seconds where you go from offense to defense or vice versa makes it the most thrilling sport to watch. Uh, you know, there are a lot of pieces to the story that, you know, there was a coaching change. They, they're riding a goaltender that was an afterthought, a 25-year-old rookie and kind of a failed draft pick that finally got a shot. And now he's the backbone of the team. And, you know, St. Louis kid, uh, Pat Maroon, who scores the game winner in game seven and double overtime against Dallas. I mean, they're, there are a lot of pieces there that uh, that even the casual sports fan, if they knew about it, would would go. Oh, that's that's a cool story. Yeah, Jaden Schwartz had what only twelve goals during the regular season. He's probably getting close to that in the playoffs. And you you think about the way the game swings. Jamie Benn almost ended that series. He missed by an inch, and less than a minute later, you know, Blues win. Yeah, and and that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, when you care, we we had a good friend. Doug Waite, who was in St. Louis with the Blues, and when he got traded to Carolina, he was hurt, unfortunately, with a shoulder injury when they were going down the stretch and they were in the finals. But we were there and we cared and we had a good friend that, you know, was was about to win his first Stanley Cup and you're, you're holding your breath, it feels like, for three hours watching this game. And, and then it's just exaltation when they end up winning. It, it's just, I, I think it's just an awesome, tough, uh, hard nosed but really pure sport that uh, that that I think you know I, I'm stunned that people don't really lock on to on more of a national level. But when when you have a vested interest in it, man, you just can't get enough. I was thinking about this when I was watching for a second. How much of you during overtime is curious about what Kenny's going to come up with for the call? First of all, I thought he killed it. Simple, laid out for felt like forever, which was great. Got to really feel like I was in the arena but as you know Joe Buck are you sitting there thinking like what you might say or are you thinking about Kenny at all or what in that moment is is there any part of that where announcer guy kind of 
peeks out of hockey fan and says, "What's going to happen here?" Absolutely not. I don't. What, what language am I allowed to say on this podcast? Anything you'd like. <laughs> okay, so mainly I'm sitting there going. <laughs> I mean, that that I'm not thinking about Kenny Albert at all. Okay. I'm thinking about or what I would say. I'm I am total fan, and uh, and that's the fun of it. It's really something, you know, to, to go corny on you for a second. But it's something that my daughters and I really had, you know, uh, between us. We I, I had season tickets that kind of eventually found their way back behind the Blues net. Uh, first was the first row, then we moved back one. And we just, we loved going down, the three of us. And uh, so it was something that, that we always just had as our thing and we looked forward to. Then once my older daughter, Natalie, went to college and then my younger daughter ended up going to college in L.A., I was like, I'm not going to keep the seats. But when they made the deals they made, now this is becoming a hockey podcast, uh, in the in the summer, I was like, you know, this will be the one year that they win, and I don't have season <laughs> tickets for the first time since I was basically a teenager. So uh, I'm I'm buying two, and then all of a sudden I'm trying to add seats in the postseason just because it's so thrilling and friends want to go. But uh, that that's so I'm sitting there screaming and yelling and high fiving people I don't know, and uh, and you know that that's that's kind of the fun of it for me. I don't get to do that much when it comes to sports and. Uh, I have to have that headset on my head and the professional side to my voice and, uh, you know, yelling the words that I was yelling don't ever come out of my mouth uh, at other events. All right, it's time to take a dark turn. Are you ready? Yes. What the fuck was that bullshit in the NFC Championship game? Like, you don't understand. Like, I'm still not over it. Like, think about me as a kid who's loved the Saints' top three thing in his life since 1987. You know, you take kids and wife out of it you know i'm talking superficial stuff and uh think about how the last two seasons have ended and when the playoffs started joe i said and i was there by the way i'm surprised you even want to talk to me because you know most of the time people associate the voice calling it with uh the result of the specific play or the series so you were at both of them i called the digs touchdown and i called the non-call although I think on the non-call, I mean, the Diggs touchdown was what it was. Yeah, we got beat at least by a play. And, and, yeah, they beat us. Yeah, you got yeah. beat by a play yeah. as opposed to having it taken away. I, I just have never felt walking out of a stadium the way I felt walking out of uh, the Superdome. And uh, I, I, it just felt it just felt wrong, and it, felt, it was kind of like a punch to the gut that a game that good, that a season in an NFC – you know, championship game and really the NFC playoffs in general being as good as they were ended the way it did. Now, you don't know. I mean, if they make the call, who knows? We, I just watched the replay of the Romo bobble of the snap, and you don't know. You right, he's got to make the kick. And right. say he for sure makes the kick, but they run the clock down, they kick a chip shot field goal, and they go to the Super Bowl, and maybe that's Drew Brees' last chance. Maybe not. I wouldn't bet against him, but I. Yeah, it was just a weird feeling, like the wrong team was going to the most important game of the season. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of the that's the way sports is. That's the way humans are. Everybody's fallible. I, I don't think there's some grand conspiracy. I think they just I, I think they erred on the side of not being the official to throw a flag when it wasn't warranted. It's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. But that was pretty clear cut. So blatant. And I, you know, the thankfully for us we've got Pereira sitting right there and he can say no that should have been a flag 
let alone the piece of it that none of us even really thought about until the after the fact, mm-hmm. which was the helmet to helmet. Yep, stuff. the headshot. So mm-hmm. it, 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 it could have been a, a call either way. And uh, it wasn't a call either way, and and it, it felt weird walking out of there. I I gotta tell you. Yeah, I said to my wife before the Eagles game, I said, "Look, it. No matter what happens this year, I know it can't end as bad as last year." <laughs> Wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Wrong. I, you know, but that's why you watch, and that's why it's fun. And, you know, for you as a Saints fan, being as long as you've been a Saints fan, it, there there are a lot of down years. Peyton and Breeze have gotten there. It's it's a different story, and and I would say going into this season, they have as good a chance as anybody to win in the NFC because of the quarterback and the head coach, and that's got to be a good feeling to you. Feels like a big year, though. You know, like people talk about windows opening and closing. It feels like feels like there's a little bit more pressure this year to be there at the end. You know, like Drew Breeze is not getting younger, and the salary cap always hangs over their head because there's so much about deferring it which i love because you might as well go for it while you got drew Brees, right you never know who you're going to replace right. him with uh although it seems like right now it's going to be Ch- teddy bridgewater um so that's better maybe than i thought five years ago we done you know you never know but not uh, you know not often is aaron Rodgers waiting behind brett Favre. so i don't know it just you I, gotta go for it and and they do and you know the guy they're gonna really miss is max unger and when they made that trade i think most casual sports fans when they made the trade and sent Jimmy Graham up to Seattle, most sports fans thought, what are they crazy? They just traded this red zone beast for a center. I mean, who cares? You can get centers anywhere, but the guy played every game. He was the most important guy to drew Brees because he's been hearing about his whole life. He's a shorter quarterback. And so if you have a shorter quarterback, you Mm -hmm. gotta, you gotta keep it clean and right in front of his face. And, Unger was a big part of that. So I know they drafted a center, and people seem to like the guy they drafted. But Eric McCoy. Just don't replace Max Unger. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that inside pressure, that's the way you get him. You know, if you can get in his right in his face, that's that's when he throws a bad pass or whatever. You know, like I think it was inside pressure on the pick in overtime, right? Uh, was it? Yeah. Da- yeah, right in his face, and he underthrew it to the left there. and I think Michael Thomas was the guy who's trying to throw to, but you know what? The other night, yeah, I mean that that's but that but that was one of those deals where I think fantasy owners go, "Are you kidding me?" Or the casual fan goes, "You don't trade away a guy that scores touchdowns for right. an offensive lineman." But, no, it was a huge moment. Then you look at Dallas. You look at the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, you know when they lost their center, uh, it, it changed their offensive line. Now they got better as as the as the season went on, but when you lose a guy like Travis Frederick, who's a, an all pro center and you know, that the middle of that offensive line takes a step back like that. Uh, it, it takes a while to get over and some teams don't get over it. So we'll see how the saints do without Max Unger. And that off season, when they traded Unger, they also traded Kenny Stills. They really kind of changed the team. They changed the way they evaluated players. They were focusing more on character, building camaraderie in the locker room and, focusing on things like protecting Breeze as opposed to giving Breeze weapons. I mean, when you take Stills and Graham off the team, you think, oh, it's a downgrade, but the offense was better the next year. I don't know. Well, I mean, think about all the weapons they ended up with. They had that game against, was it Atlanta, where they had four undrafted guys? Right, Kirkwood. Whatever the number was. I mean, it's just insane the way they get production out of players that are either cast-offs 
considered too small, like Austin Carr, or uh, just aren't drafted. And uh, you know, they they've got probably the best number one receiver that nobody pays attention to in Thomas. Stud. And uh, and you know, that, I think that's to his credit because he doesn't seem like a me 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 guy except for the can't guard cell phone me. Joe Horn thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, I had been blackout football blackout i watched a little bit of the draft and then the other night i was flipping through and the super bowl is on super bowl 44 and um i watched the whole fourth quarter and it ended i was just thinking like i needed that you know i needed just to watch that and feel those feelings again for a minute but man anything everybody everybody boycotts no matter what the situation in st louis i heard that you know well, I'm not watching the NFL anymore because they, they took the Rams away and they're now in L.A. And I, there's not one person that told me that that didn't watch the NFL again. It just it, it comes back around. And if you're a fan, you're going to watch. I don't care how mad you are. But I am proud of the city of New Orleans. They did hold up their end of the bargain with the Super Bowl. That Bowl was Cup. unbelievable. Yeah. That was unbelievable. Good for them. To, uh, to have the, the television rating be <laughs> what it was in local markets and people in New Orleans said, Nope. We're sick. We're not yeah. going to watch this. And they didn't. They went and I, had, had a parade. Shocking. They went and yeah. had a parade. Um, when yeah, we, that's when we, awesome. When we talked about the Vikings, the 2009 uh, NFC Championship game, you had a cool story about, who was it, Kate Hudson was in the booth with you? Anything cool happen at the NFC Championship game this year? Uh, no, those days are behind. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm done. I the championship game ended, and uh, I couldn't wait to get home. Right. You know, as, babies as you waiting. I've talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got uh, now one-year-old babies, and then they were a half-year-old. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm back in that boat again, which is great. I mean, I've got a lot of my friends that have already raised kids. Like, I've already raised kids, and they kind of look at me and shake their head. And then I, I, I honestly say, you know, it's it's going to be one of the greatest gifts of, of – our life to to have these boys and to have them i think keep me young as the years go on so uh we'll see but uh you know we'll see how they turn out but we're pouring everything we've got into them and so back in that day i was hanging around at the ritz uh afterward with kate and a friend of hers and you know the whole fox sports group and this year i uh got in the car and went to the airport (laughs) Hey, if the great Jack Buck can start over again with little Joe Buck, Joe Buck can start right. over again, right? That's right. I wouldn't be here. That's, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be here if my dad had the, uh, hey, I've already done that attitude. So, yeah, it, it's a good thing. The sports guys are here with uh, Joe Buck. A few more minutes just catching up, and he, Joe's nice enough to take a few minutes to help with the relaunch of the sportscasters here. Um, you know what? Let me ask you something because it probably helped me too. I don't think I asked you this last time. I think it was someone else I asked a similar question, but what did – Father of two college graduates, what advice did he give new dad, Joe Buck? You know, does that mm. make sense? Did I ask that right? I think I did. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty simple. You know, you, you just take it as it comes. I think the hard thing for me now is having the information that I have. And the information is it's not easy. Um, it's not easy raising kids. And it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. And I, I personally, I, I think if lazy comes into the equation, you're dead and you're going to have bad kids. I don't think you can be lazy. And, you know, they have to be your number one priority. I think about them before I go to sleep, all four of my kids. And when I wake up and I want to make sure they're okay. And if you put yourself second, you can't put your marriage second or third. I think you have to 
concentrate on that and still date your wife or date your husband, whatever the case may be. But I, you know, I, I think you have to prioritize differently and it becomes about them and not you. And I think that makes you a better human being on top of it. But I, I think the advice would be don't get intimidated by the size of the assignment and the size of the assignment is getting them properly prepared to launch into the world. And by that time I'll be damn near 70. And that's, that's an, math is not my friend. And, uh, and so I, I do my best to keep that out of my head and nobody knows what's coming tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it's almost, it, it's narcissistic and almost crazy to plan or think about what's going to be going on when you're 70, when you don't know what's going to be going on on Saturday. And, uh, and I think you just have to take one day at a time and, and enjoy it and, uh, do your best. Last thing and I'll get you out of here on this. Are you getting ready for golf? Third time, right? Yeah, I, I am. You know, I, it just gave me chills like the rest of the world. Um, when tiger won at Augusta and now, you know, they've changed the scheduling. So, PGA Championship is is right around the corner, and you know then we have the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, which seems to be a friendly uh, venue for him. He's won there, he's lapped the field there, he's comfortable there. I just you know we've done four, and I I just we've never had him make the cut twice. He hasn't played twice. He hasn't made the cut. So let's just start with him making the cut and being in contention. And you know should he win? Uh, you know, I haven't done golf that long and, and who am I to talk about it? But just as a golf fan and as a fan of sports, I, you know, it'd be an incredible story to, to have a front row center seat for. This is the fifth one Fox has done already? Yeah. Wow. Hard to believe. I thought it was the third one I was thinking in my head. Wow. No, we've had uh, Chambers Bay, Oakmont, Aaron Hills, and then uh, Shinnecock. So here we go to Pebble Beach. Awesome. Paul, you want to say hi to the great Joe Buck? <laughs> say hi, Joe. Like, who's that? Hi, Joe. He hates the Saints. <laughs> He's talking about the Saints. He said the Saints are no good. Don't, don't add another one to my list. <laughs> You're not going to tweet Joe any nasty tweets, are you? No, that's okay. I won't see it. <laughs> tweet away. Thank you so much, Joe. All right, anytime. Good to talk again. Could've used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high I want to thank Joe Buck for being on the podcast today Always love have Joe on the show Quick book club update because we already did one this week So there isn't a ton to get to I did mention that I was having trouble locating Blake J. Harris, but I thought that he would definitely surface, and he has. Uh, I spoke with Blake, and he'll be on soon. So his book uh, is called The History of the Future, Oculus, Facebook, and the Revolution That Swept Virtual Reality by Blake J. Harris. Pick up a copy, and uh, you'll really enjoy that. Um, I really enjoyed it. I read it in the hospital 
and uh, it's a great book. Lots of business. It's kind of like uh, I saw someone tweet, and I agreed with them. It's kind of like a the movie about Facebook. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's kind of like a story told in that way. Uh, Inside the Empire: The True Power Behind the New York Yankees by Bob Klapsich and Paul Solotaroff. These guys are still MIA. This is the last time I'm going to mention the book if I don't hear from them. Check it out or don't. No big deal. Uh, One thing that did happen is that uh, someone reached out to me. His name is Greg Inkpen. And he reached out to me and said, hey, I got this book. It's called Brof, On and Off the Ice with John Brophy, one of hockey's most colorful characters. Uh, Will you check it out? And I said, absolutely, I will check it out. And I'm really excited about it. I don't know a lot about John Brophy. I know his name. I know he coached the Maple Leafs. Uh, But that's about where my knowledge of him begins and ends. And actually, Greg sent me kind of a rundown of all the stuff he'd like to talk about on the show. And I got to be honest, it's all really interesting. (laughs) He basically did a lot of the work for me in terms of talking to him about writing the book. And then I will read the book and uh, do my homework. And we'll have Greg on. And I'm excited about it. Uh, Please check this book out. You know, anytime someone reaches out to me and says, hey, I've put my heart and soul into this. Can you read it or talk about it? It's always going to be yes for me. Um, I'm so honored to be able to do it, and I'm honored to be able to help Greg. Again, his his name is Greg Inkman, um, Brof, On and Off the Ice with John Brophy, one of hockey's most colorful characters. It's the name of the book. Follow Greg on Twitter. Why not? Uh, he's at G-R-E-G-G-I-N-K-P-E-N. Uh, give him a follow. Buy this book. Check it out. Um, I will read it, and I'll pass one along, uh, possibly. But let's let's just uh, let's help this guy out. He reached out to the sportscasters, and anytime anyone does that, the answer is going to be yes. So that's the book club. That's where we're at right now with it. Uh, finishing up two books and starting a new one, and uh, we'll see where we go from here during the summer. Usually, I don't read as much during the summer kind of back off a little bit, but there'll be books. All right, let's take a break and let's come back with one of the nicest men in the world, Damon Hack. Our next guest is a sportscaster's legend. A former senior writer at Sports Illustrated, currently doing the morning drive on the Golf Channel. One of my all-time favorite human beings, a warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Damon Hack. What's up, Damon? How you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic, Steve. How are you? Good. You are the first uh, first interview uh, in the return of the sportscasters. I really appreciate you always being a friend of the show and uh, being here for me. I appreciate it. It's always great catching up. So... While I was gone, uh, it seems like we talked about it for years, right? You would come on and I would say, all right, as of whatever that date was, is is Tiger Woods going to break Jack's record or is he going to win another major? We talk about it all the time, you and I. And uh, I think you always stood by him and said you think he's going to break it. And I would say I think he can have that perfect weekend at Augusta one time that was always kind of my take that there'd be an 86 nicholas type weekend for tiger at some point so i guess my first question is did we see an 86 type weekend or did we see a full 
full-blown resurgence to Tiger Woods as a, as someone who could win every major that tees off. You know, like, is it a perfect weekend or was it a true return, do you think? I think it's a true return. I really do. And I think that, you know, it's hard to even say this, but maybe Tiger Woods, upon reflection, is even better than we thought, that he's even more mentally tough than we thought, that uh, he was underrated at the height of his power because he was so dominant. We got used to it. We got numb to it. But for him to come back, to put his body back together, just from a physical standpoint, to put his life back together, his short game back together, after humiliation, surgery, chipping yips or between chipping patterns, uh, you know, if you ask him, it was more about uh, an inability to, to kind of go from one style of short game to another, not to mention, you know, an issue exacerbated by his back. To come back from a DUI a couple of years ago in the mugshot and just the humiliation and embarrassment of 2009 to win a 15th major against all these Tiger babies. I mean, the Masters was a leaderboard of guys that had grown up watching him and modeling their workouts. Tony Finau, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Francesco Molinari, Xander Shoffley. I mean, Tiger beat them all, and I don't think it was a last gasp of a great champion. I think it was the beginning strokes of a final chapter, and it could be a longer chapter than any of us previously thought possible. It was the first time Tigers won in the, I guess, for me, the aftermath of the Katane and Benedict book that I had read about a year ago. Uh, I don't know that there's this widespread aftermath to it or whatever, but plenty of people, I'm sure, read it. Um, it was, you know, in the it was a New York Times bestseller, so people read it. But what I was thinking about today is if in two years from now, or maybe even now, these guys wrote another chapter, a postscript, so to say, would they be writing about a very different Tiger Woods than the guy that they wrote about from, say, 1997 to 2015 or whatever? Oh, like, this I is a different so. human being, right? Yeah. It is. I think that Tiger has had um, some changes that have really kind of altered his view on his relationship with the fans, his relationship um, with the media. I'm not saying he's suddenly warm and fuzzy, but there's a little more give and take, a little more, um, you know, holding the glance with the fan, uh, a little more laughter with the media and I think it all circles around his fatherhood and the fact that he is a parent who knows that his kids know what he does for a living now uh, I think he desperately wanted to show his kids what he could do on a golf course I think he's been humbled I think he has softened some uh, it hasn't taken away his remarkable competitive nature uh, his mental toughness that we may be underestimated, but I think there's more of a joy in his presentation, more of a warmth in how he interacts with people in general. So I think that kind of arrested development, that the child actor uh, that burned out uh, in one of the most egregious and embarrassing ways possible in 2009 has kind of come full circle and is appreciating his life more and appreciating his galleries more and appreciating what he has more and what he lost. And I think that this is kind of a 
kind of a smelling the roses phase of his career. And a lot of us thought that maybe, you know, he would be too soft now to go and win again. And, and you know, this, this kind of uh, more approachable tiger wouldn't work inside the ropes because the other one was an absolute assassin inside the ropes. And I think he's showing that he can kind of win in an Arnold Palmer, Arnie's army love fest kind of way. The cheers of tiger, tiger, tiger at Augusta national were so different than they were in 97 and in 01 and 02 and 05 when he won. It's an absolute uh, joyful refrain that we're hearing from the galleries that how much they missed him and how much they appreciate the greatness that Tiger showed us from 1997 to 2009. One thing we've talked about in the past is how these, the Tiger babies, how they kind of, you know, they'll stick around to see their buddy win and they cheer for each other and how different that was from Tiger. I I was wondering about this kind of theory of, do you think the change in the locker room has helped Tiger in the sense that when he came in, you know, 97, late 90s, early 2000s, there's the fuzzy zellers in the room. It's it, The locker room's filled with guys who are worried about Tiger replacing them or, or beating them. You know, it's a different vantage point when this young kid comes in. Now the locker room is filled with guys who, man, it's making their life to be in the locker room with Tiger Woods and to anything they can learn from him or be around him. Like you said, they're tiger babies. You think that makes tiger more comfortable, more at ease, more, you know, I mean, when he, when I'm watching him come off the 18th tee at Augusta, there's five, six players. He's given high five to were in the, in the past. And as detailed in that book, it was the one guy, you know, that he was really friends with. Do you think that that is something or am I making something out of nothing there? No, there, there's something there, Steve. He he practices in Jupiter, Florida, constantly with with the Ricky Fowlers, and has practiced with you know Justin Thomas in South Florida and Roy McIlroy. He plays practice rounds with Justin Thomas, calls him JT. Plays practice rounds with Bryson DeChambeau. He absolutely has a different relationship with the best players in the world today than he did at the height of his power when he was a fierce rival of Phil Mickelson. They did not get along. Vijay Singh the same. Uh, Tiger, you know, back and forth with Sergio Garcia, some of the untrusted moments they have had. This new generation, they, they love Tiger. They grew up watching him. They don't have, you know, the scar tissue that those guys that you mentioned the previous generation had uh, going up against Tiger. And I think that Tiger relates to these kids more Giving them as well that, that JT and, and Spieth and Rory and Ricky, they know that they are playing for purses that are astronomical and they can draw a direct line to Tiger with the greatness and dominance uh, for their lifestyle, right. private, yeah. uh, being able to, to live in, you know, these awesome, you know, beach mansions, you know, in, in South Florida and elsewhere. They're playing for a $10 million FedEx Cup bonus and, this Wyndham Rewards race, which launches in 2019, and major championship purses where the winner is being paid upwards of $2 million. Uh, they know that it's all about the guy in the red shirt on Sundays, and they've wanted to have him back. They've wanted to compete against the guy who, who was their hero, and, and I think that's made Tiger more approachable, and, and it has also made them absolutely appreciate having him back. They, they love kind of 
going toe-to-toe with the old man, as they call him. And I think it's actually rejuvenated Tiger Woods to a certain extent as well. I think there's something endearing about that, too. I don't know. For me, to know that he's in the locker room, that he's one of the guys, that he's calling you know, someone JT, there's just something endearing about that to me as opposed to, you know, oh, he hates everybody and everyone hates him. And, you know, there's just, I don't know. For whatever reason, there's something endearing about that to me. It's different. It's a different vibe. Um, I tell you, man, these tournaments have become love fest. And you're right. You know, it, it's uh, it's Tiger there, and there's Ricky waiting for him. Bubba Watson was waiting for him at Augusta. Bernard Langer, two-time Master Champ, was waiting. Ian Poulter was waiting. I mean, these guys are, are so appreciative of what Tiger has done. And also, they're appreciative of what Tiger put his body through to come back, you know, the surgery, the rehab, what they, what he put his game through. He doesn't have a coach right now, figuring it out on his own, putting his short game back together, winning in Atlanta last year, winning the masters this year. Uh, I think he's going to become the number one player in the world. Again, I actually said that before the season started. Uh, I feel good about that. He's a top 10 player again. Uh, he's got the PGA championship at Beth page where he won a U.S. open. He's got the U S open at Pebble where he won by 15 shots in 2000. And of course, almost always a contender in the Open Championship. This one will be the first one at Port Rush, first one in Northern Ireland since 1951. We saw what he did at Carnoustie last year, finishing tied for six. Tiger Woods uh, has a lineup of tournaments that will absolutely fit his schedule. He's not playing as much. He's resting his body, has to, can't hit as many balls as he used to. So there's just an all-out appreciation for a player who has figured out a way to, to swim upstream and still uh, get it done at the highest level. Let me ask you this. Now, at the Masters, there was some genius strategy involved, right? He was patient. He laid back. He let the field come to him. You know, and then for those, you know, in those, like, that shot, I think it was at 16, that rolled back for him. Like, he attacked at the right time. Is there a part of his game that Augusta allowed him to sort of mask that when he gets into a Beth page black, which is famous for being super long. And I mean, obviously a much different course than Augusta. Is there something about his game that you do worry about that maybe at Augusta, he was able to put, put aside and use the strategic waiting in the weeds and then pouncing at the right time approach. Yeah. I still think he's, you know, the ultimate strategist. He can outthink a lot of the players and you really detailed it beautifully. He, he let the other players make the mistakes. Molinari on 12 and 15, Kepka on 12, he now on 12. You know, Tiger really took the air out of the ball. He went four corners, Dean Smith, on the rest of the field, and it was beautiful to watch, kind of a puppet master, really toying with the rest of the field. And Jack Nicklaus used to do the same thing. He drove the ball pretty well at Augusta, got away with a few loose drives, that he wouldn't be able to get away with at best page black because the rough is going to be more of a factor there than it was. It's going to be in the fifties, most likely maybe the sixties. It'll be a cooler, uh, you know, temperature, which will make the golf course harder, longer. The ball won't fly as long. We wonder how his bounce is going to hold up. You know, it's a little cooler. So it'll take longer for him to get warm. This is going to be a physical test. The dust is a very difficult course to walk. Best page black is equally difficult. I thought the warmer temperatures for the bulk of the week 
uh, helped Tiger Woods. I do think that uh, you know, his drives, he drove the ball pretty well as a whole. Hit some draws, hit some fades, great draws off of two. Uh, you know, drawing the golf ball uh, was kind of a, a question mark for Tiger in this new incarnation. I think he answered those questions, but he's going to have to have as equal to or better uh, a driving exhibition at Best Page Black to win. It's a golf course that really sets up for the likes of BJ and Rory uh, and Brooks Kepka just because of the length required. So, so Tiger will have to have another superior driving week, I believe, to win a 16th major championship at the PGA. What would the story be in your mind if an editor asked you to write about Tiger receiving the uh, the medal yesterday from President Trump? What would the story be to you? Yeah, the story is uh, these are two old friends. Tiger Woods has known you know uh, President Trump since he was 21 years of age and won the Masters in 1997. He actually ended up you know, spending some time at the Trump Taj Mahal. Uh, I, you know, most of the the golfers who received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, it was at the end of their life. It was, you know, for, you know, Arnold Palmer in 2004, Charlie Sifford a few years ago, uh, Jack Nicklaus in 2005. So a little odd for most of us in the golf world to see Tiger at 43 receiving a, a, a civilian honor, the highest in our nation at the age of 43, but we also know that Tiger and Trump have had a long relationship, and these are two buddies that hang out, they play golf together. Uh, Tiger obviously also played golf with President Obama as well, so it may seem like a bit of an early time to receive uh, such a prestigious honor, but I will say that uh, when you look at what Tiger has overcome on and off the golf course, uh, you can understand how uh, the president would recognize uh, Tiger's uh, you know, overcoming the obstacles and really a triumph uh, in a lot of ways of the human spirit. As we get into the PGA thirteenth, um, I believe it starts or somewhere around there. Uh, who are his biggest? Uh, if Tiger's back on top, who are his biggest uh, threats? Who are the next three or four, based on the course and the timing and where we're at right now? Yeah, to me, this reminds me of a Bell Reeve in St. Louis, it's a meaty, long, very difficult tree line. Um, not as many trees as, as Bell Reef, but enough where you have to, from time to time, you know, fit the ball in corridors and hit it a long way. So it's a DJ, Rory, Brooks Kepka kind of course. A long way actually has been runner up twice in U.S. Open at Best Page Black, 02 to Tiger and 09 to Lucas Glover finish behind them both. So uh, it's going to be guys who can hit the ball straight. I'm not sure that Phil is driving the ball well enough right now to contend, but I just look at the cream of the crop, especially off the tee, the Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy type of player. Uh, they're, they're few and far between guys who hit the ball long and straight. And I think that those are the guys who are going to be Tiger Woods' biggest competition come uh, Thursday morning on Long Island. You bring up Phil. Does he have that weekend in him that we were kind of talking about in the beginning, that one last, you know, the Mickelson, or excuse me, the uh, Nicholas 86 type weekend in him, you think, or is he a little bit past that? I I think he does. I think his swing is so long. I think he's so talented. 
Um, and Pebble is going to be the intriguing week. He's won the golf tournament, you know, in February, the AT&T Pebble Beach National Pro-Am. He's won it five times. That's the side of the U.S. Open. But when he won earlier this year, he said, hey, different golf course. The U.S. Open will be presented a lot different, a more difficult, higher narrow fairways. But Phil Mickelson plans to be on the Ryder Cup team at age 50. He plans to be competitive over the next three to five years. He won already on the PJ Tour this season. He's uh, on the short list, top 10, 12 players of all time. Uh, health being uh, equal, uh, if he can kind of continue to push back against his arthritis and some of the things he's been dealing with, I think Phil Mickelson will contend in major championships for the next couple of years. The sports guests are here with our friend Damon Hack finishing up. We're talking Tiger Woods, talking PGA. It's golf season. I'm curious. I got you on the line. You got any opinions on the NBA or NHL playoffs? You you dialed in on either of those. I've enjoyed a little bit of Rockets and Warriors. Enjoying uh, you know watching those offensive you know light shows. Watching James Harden. Uh, watching Steph Curry and Draymond and watching Clay Thompson. Uh, I actually watched um, some of the highlights of Game 4 uh, with my sons. It was me kind of getting their kind of view of the game now. They're going to be 8 in June. So uh, I'm coaching my boys in flag football and in YMCA basketball. And so it's neat to kind of watch their view and watching the athleticism that we see in the NBA. So, you know, I don't follow it as closely as I, as I, as I did when I was covering the Knicks for Newsday, uh, which is amazing to say, 17 and 18 years ago, but uh, when I'm uh, having some free time and, and I'm with my boys, we like to check out the NBA and see kind of what the, you know Kyrie and the Celtics or or what the MVP and James Harden or what they're doing with their respective teams. What did they think? What's the consensus? Well, they think that the the Warriors may be vulnerable. I'm not so sure uh, <laughs> once they go back to Oakland, but uh, I tell you what, they they appreciate the artistry and the brilliance of, of the game today and. You know, the, the fast-paced nature, it's amazing to watch how important it is to get back on defense. And, and they love James Harden. They just think he's an absolute, you know, scrapper, fighter, can hit the three, but can also penetrate the lane and dish. You saw a lot of great passing from him as well. They understand why he's the MVP. They feel like he's a very well-rounded player. And, and Chris Paul had a strong game in game four as well. So it's just kind of fun to watch uh, the boys ooing and eyeing uh, as the best players in the NBA are going toe-to-toe. You know, I'm just thinking, you're kind of like the Breeze family. You got the three boys, you got the flag football going on, just like you're coaching. Drew coaches the flag football <laughs> for his three boys. They're they're not triplets. They're like, I think they're 1-1-1, one, 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 you know, like that. But, uh, yeah, maybe that could be like a rivalry in the future, the Hacks versus the Breezes in flag football. I like that. Sign me up. I, tell you, <laughs> I never thought I'd have as much fun. My wife is the one who actually – encouraged me to coach. I kind of said, okay, I'll think about it. And then she signed me up to coach YMCA basketball. I'm like, honey, what are you doing? I'm waking up at 4 a.m. to host morning drive. I got no time to coach. And it's and it's become my favorite thing to do. I can't wait till Saturdays. I love watching my boys run around. And it's just, uh, you know, like, like all of us, you know, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> Women are smarter than men. Uh, <laughs> there's a reason for that. And, and I, I think my wife, for signing me up because now all I want to do is coach the boys and hang out with them and watch sports. It's just the best. So what kind of coach are you? Are you like a strategist like Belichick? Are you an offensive mind like Peyton? You know, are you conservative? <laughs> like what kind of coach are you? I like to think I'm a little bit of everything. I, I can motivate when necessary, but I also like to study 
You know, I've got some Bama offense plays for football. Uh, I'm teaching the boys how to dribble with both hands so they can know that uh, if you want to be a really good basketball player, you got to be able to dribble and look up. You can't, like, look down while you're dribbling. So I keep emphasizing the importance of being able to dribble with your left hand. And we're watching, you know, watching Steph Curry. I'm like, look how well he can handle the ball. So I like to say motivation, fundamentals, and preparation. My calling card is a coach. Damon Hack is the absolute best, and he's on Morning Drive on the Golf Channel. You can find him on Twitter at DamonHackGC. Damon, thanks for always being there for me. I appreciate it more than you would know. Always great spending time with you, Steve. Thanks so much. I want to thank Damon Hack and Joe Buck for being on the podcast today. I want to thank Greg Wyshynski and Adnan Verk for being on the podcast a couple days ago. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and wherever podcast catchers are catching podcasts. You can also email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. I always answer all my emails. I want to thank Fred and um, Bill, two super fans who uh, reached out and wished me best. And I want to thank them so much, Bill McGrath and Fred Cass. I hope I have Fred's last name right. Uh, Just two great guys um, that have reached out to me and said, hey, man, feel better. Love listening to the show. Uh, Hopefully it's back soon. Um, And, of course, it is. I also want to thank... Is there anyone else to thank? No. How about this? How about I plug Greetings from Allentown? My friend Peter Winson. Uh, we host a podcast called the Adams Division Podcast, which we haven't done in forever. I hope we can do one soon. Uh, but Greetings from Allentown is new this week with a show about AWA wrestling from 1990. G.F. Allentown Pod on Twitter. Follow him for more information. My buddy Adrian Dater at A Dater on Twitter. Congratulations on another season covering Avalanche Hockey. Nobody in the world knows more about Avalanche Hockey than Adrian Dater. I'm confident in that. And his startup he's been working on, BSN Denver, is at BSN Denver on Twitter. And if you have any interest in Colorado sports, it doesn't even have to be the Avalanche. Uh, that is the place to go for sure. Place to be Nation is a podcast uh, by Justin and Scott. And I was on episode 513 and episode 518 of the flagship podcast over at Place to Be Nation. Uh, so make sure you check that out. Place to Be Nation is going to be having an 80s music uh, contest starting up soon. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, enough for now. Oh, I want to thank Eric Hawk. That's someone else I have to thank. Eric Hawk, who was on this show a few episodes ago uh, from The Wings, was nice enough to promote my quaz jeffperlman.com slash steve-bennett the quaz you can go to jeffperlman.com slash the quaz as well there's been 405 of these things and I was number 405 and Eric was nice enough uh, to blast it all over his social which was really cool Uh, make sure you give Eric a follow on Twitter Uh, the best way to do that probably is at WNY Roller Hockey you can go there and then that will take you everywhere 
Or you can listen to the episode we did with Eric, where, of course, he plugged his stuff. All right, one last thing for me today, and I, it's Saturday, May 11th, and tomorrow is Sunday, May 12th, which is Mother's Day. So why not one last thing on Mother's Day? I want to talk about my mother. Let's start with her. She was a great mother, is a great mother still. Uh, she worked so hard when I was a kid to make sure I had everything I ever wanted. And there's a special thing about me and my mother, and that's that, you know, before the rest of our family, we call it the original five, myself, my brothers, my stepfather, my mother. You know, before we were all together, it was just me and her, right? We're kind of the original two. After her and my dad were divorced, which, you know, God bless my mother and father. They never made me feel like a divorced kid. I never never spent a second worrying about it or crying about it. I didn't see them fight almost ever in my life. They never argued over child support or anything like that. Just they were great parents. They're still great parents. And my mom, you know, like I said, we have that special thing where it was just her and I. And I don't remember a ton about it, but I know it happened. You know, I I remember us living at my grandmother's house, which, I mean, what a blessing. I had to spend some time living with my grandmother as she passed away by the time I was 15. So, I, and, I mean, really, uh, I'll talk about her in a second. My mother was a great mother, is a great mother. She did everything for me and my brothers. She always put us first. She sacrificed so much for us. I can speak on behalf of my brothers when I say that we just want to spend the rest of our lives returning the favor, you know. So, And she's a great grandmother as well. Gregory and Paul would tell you that. Uh, so I love you, Mom. Thank you. My wife. My wife's a new mother. Only three years into it, and she's doing great. Paul loves Mommy, and uh, she's always busy taking her places. She loves to just do events with Paula. So, and she works hard for us. I'm kind of down and out, and there's nothing she won't do for me or for Paula. Great mother. Thank you. My mother-in-law, Janet, great mother-in-law. You know, I know people spend their whole lives dreading being around their mother-in-laws. Mine's great. 20 years, she's been great to me. I can count probably on one hand the amount of times she's annoyed me. <laughs> so that's good for a mother-in-law, right? My grandmothers. I got one left. One's still walking. My grandma Marie. Uh, we named my daughter Paula Marie after my grandmothers Paula and Marie. Grandma Marie's still here. I always think about reading the comics with her back in the day uh, when I stayed overnight at my dad's and my dad was living with her. And then when it came time and I graduated college, I spent a couple years living with her. And those were great years. I got to get really close with her and eat her cooking every night and share my life and ask her questions. And I know I take her for granted. I hate it. Like, I need to spend more time with her than I do. Someday she's going to be gone. And I'm going to always... And I kind of feel like no matter how much time I spend with her, I'm going to feel that way anyway. That when your grandparents are gone, you, you just think... It, no matter how much time you spend, it wasn't enough. Uh, my grandma Xenia, my grandma Annie, my two great-grandmothers. I miss them. Got to spend a lot of time with them. I'm grateful for that. My grandma Xenia with her classic Italian accent. And my grandma Zinia, the great story about her is that she would take me aside and give me like 75 cents and beg me not to tell my brothers. 
Oh, Stephen, I only got a little bit of money. I give it to you and not your brother. You don't tell them. It is just for you, Stephen. And then when I'd piss her off, Oh, no, but some cheese and a cheese and a mamata. She'd be so pissed. She was a great, great grandmother. I miss her. Who else? Who are some other mothers? Oh, my grandma Paula. Oh, my dear grandma Paula. I don't know. Maybe now is not the time to talk about that. Maybe not now. But happy Mother's Day, Grandma. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. We appreciate you. Probably not as much as we should. Uh, but I try to... Uh, I try to appreciate my mother and my wife and my mother-in-law. And I'm going to try harder this year because, like I said, it's, it's probably never enough. I want to thank everyone from the bottom of my heart who, who's been with me and is with me in this reboot. We'll get back on track next week, later in the week, Thursday, Friday. I got an episode to put out. Thanks again to Damon and Joe and Greg and Adnan for helping the reboot. I appreciate that. And thanks to Jeff Proman for having me on as part of the Quaz. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. We'll be back next week. Self is free.